You're listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Now, here is your host from denverstiffs.com, Adam Mottes. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Nuggets podcast for the Locked On NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Mottes from denverstiffs.com, the largest ever Nuggets blog and community on the web. Check us out. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Today's episode of the show is on an impressive win, a blowout win, the first blowout win of this series. Nuggets were in line for a blowout win. All these close ones. I think everybody in Nuggets Nation have, getting ready to have a heart attack just on the edge of their seat, a stress test we've been put through over the last uh, you know couple weeks, really dating back to that first series. And finally, Denver had things where uh, one of those games where things just kind of broke right, um, a lot of shots falling. And then not just shots falling. I don't want to make it sound like this was a game where Denver got lucky and was hot. Denver, I thought, looked like the best version of themselves tonight in a lot of different ways. So a lot to get in. This was a fun night at Pepsi Center. Um, it was fun in part. Tomorrow's guest on the show is going to be Ariana Lesnarski. If you've ever, if you followed her on Twitter, really, really fun personality. Just, <laughs> I think it's going to be a really terrific show. She does tarot card readings. I think we're going to do a little bit of that tomorrow on the show. So um, she was in town a lot. Um, and along with her buddy Joey from the band Wolfpacks, so got to hang out with them a little bit pregame, and it kind of just set the the tone for like a great night at Pepsi Center. You kind of knew you had a sense coming into this game this was going to be a good night for the Nuggets. I think a lot of Nuggets fans were optimistic heading into this one that this one was going to be a great one. So today's show, I'm going to go through all three episodes or all three segments are going to be my notes. If you're new to the show, welcome. What I like to do on these. Rather than just kind of go back and tell you what happened through the game, I take pretty detailed notes um, on watch and on rewatch that I think um, are just interesting basketball, X's and O's type things that happen. So I'll just go through that notebook and kind of talk about what it was that made this game so interesting and so successful for the Denver Nuggets. So let's get right into it. Um, The Nuggets came out with purpose tonight. And, you know, sometimes with the Nuggets, you can tell right off the bat what kind of game it's going to be. Some nights... Um, they come out a little flat-footed, and you think, okay, they just don't have it. They don't have that pop. Um, tonight, they came out, and I thought they looked like they had purpose. Jokic, the the jump ball, Paul Millsap's been jumping for some reason lately. I don't know if Mils- Jokic is just so tired or something. He's like, hey, somebody else take jump. But Jokic gets the ball, and he immediately sprints up the court. And it was almost it is almost goofy. And, you know, Jokic sometimes at his best when he's his most lighthearted and loose. Um, but it was kind of noteworthy because it was just like, oh man, the guys are loose, but also focused and ready to go hard here. And Gary Harris in particular, I thought played with a lot of pep in his step to start this game, just a little bit of extra bounce and not just on the offensive end where I thought he was attacking the rim really well. Um, and just being aggressive, trying to get downhill. Sometimes it feels like Gary is just trying to be one of the guys, you know, just a cog in the machine. I think he's a good enough offensive player and an important offensive player, especially off of the bounce and off of those dribble handoffs that when he's looking to attack the basket and he has space to operate attacking to the basket, Denver's offense just goes to a whole new level. And tonight he had that pep in his step. And then defensively, there were some plays tonight where he was going at Damian Lillard, not reacting and trying to stay in front or whatever, but actively hunting him. I, the word I used to describe was I was sitting on press row with some of the other writers. I said, man, he's like a predator out there. He's not you know, just trying to contain. He's actively hunting Lillard, and it was just cool to watch. He had, for whatever reason, just this confidence and enthusiasm and eagerness for the game that I hope carries over into game six. The guards did a nice job of crashing the boards. One of the stories of tonight's game is that Denver just absolutely dominated the rebound. 62-44. to 44, um, 
that had rebound battle had kind of gone back and forth leading up to this. But for Denver to own it the way they did now, first of all, Denver didn't miss. So there wasn't a lot of defensive opportunities. Um, and then Portland had a lot of misses. So Denver had a lot of stops, a lot of opportunities to kind of clear the glass. So that was part of it. But I think one of the reasons Denver was able to clear the glass on those stops is because the guards, as I've talked about, one of the keys for Denver rebounding is to have the guards crash and sort of um, double team guys like Cantor, guys who are really good at grabbing second chance points. Don't just let, don't just leave it on the bigs to to box those guys out. Send another body at them and make sure you clear the boards, and then you get out and run. I thought Denver did a fantastic job of that, and I'll probably splice some clips together of um, moments where it looked like Portland had a, an offensive rebound, but a guard came in from the backside and challenged it, and either got a hand on it um, or just grabbed the ball outright. It was nine to two to start this game, and and Pepsi Center got loud. Denver, the Denver was off and running. Um, it was just the defense and rebounding I thought were great. Denver had some good looks that didn't fall, um, but the defense that was just swarming and the rebounding was limiting them to one possession. And and to me, that's that's one of the keys. Portland is not as good as Denver offensively, especially without Nurkic, who I think Nurkic. As much as he's more more of a defensive player, you know he has this gravity rolling to the rim that could, that that provides him a new wrinkle. That I think Cantor, as good as he is offensively, he doesn't necessarily open up things for Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum the way that 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 Nurkic does. So without them, they're not as good of an of of a team. They have to rely even more heavily on offensive rebounding. And when you can limit them to one point, I or, or to one one shot down the court, Denver's just going to outscore them. That's what happened tonight. Nuggets did have a few sloppy possessions early on. They had a chance to kind of, you know, 9-2. to two, You have a chance to really extend that lead, but I thought Denver got sloppy a little bit. Jokic in particular, a little bit sloppy towards the end of that first quarter, and it, it allowed them to – it allowed Portland to get back in. And you have to tip your hat to Portland. Um, a lot of times – uh, in moments like this, you win an emotional game four on the road, you come back home, and the, you know the home team is going to start out with a run. Well, Portland did a good job of weathering that storm and then rallying back, and they tied it at 18. But Denver wasn't done, it, as it turns out. Denver did a good job of, of punching back, not saying, okay, now it's a game, we're going to go back and forth, but making another run all of their own. So a couple adjustments now to talk about Portland made here, and I they're they're interesting in large part because of how much they failed. Um, they put Cantor on on Paul Millsap and they put uh, Aminu on Jokic and Aminu, it's fantastic defender, one of my favorite defenders to watch. He he does so many things well. He's athletic. He's quick. He's long. Um, he's kind of taller than you think. His hands are. He's got very good hands for sort of going for steals and just trying to disrupt the the rhythm. And they had him attacking Jokic 90 feet from the basket. So you know that Jokic likes to bring the ball up court. And they were trying to say, okay, if you're going to bring the ball up court, we're going to wear you out and, and pressure you. Jokic did a good job, and this is one of the areas he's grown so much as a player. He almost seemed unbothered by that pressure. And like I said, Aminu's a very good defender. He's good at this. This isn't like they didn't have the personnel to do this, but Aminu is the type of guy, if you were trying to go with this strategy and, and pressure him full court, Aminu's that guy. But Jokic had a couple early on where he just handled the pressure so well, dribbled the ball up the court, used a couple spin moves, and next thing you know, he's beating Amino down the lane and, and being able to make a play. So that was big. And then on the flip side, it's ironic, or not not really ironic, it's hilarious that just two days ago, Ennis Cantor said something to the effect of, oh, I know how to guard Millsap because I know all of his moves from when we were in Portland together. I know all of his moves. Um, you know, nothing he could do. Turns out, um, survey says that was a lie. Paul Millsap 
absolutely toasted him in the first quarter of this game. 12 points, and it was just cooking him. 3 of 6 from the from the field. Uh, I'm sorry, 5 of 6 from the field for Paul Millsap. He did have a, an assist as well, and that was just a lopsided fight. That was uh, Cantor had no business trying to guard him. If he knew his moves, he had no idea of how to stop him. And so much so, Jokic handled that switch better, uh, really, really well, and Millsap really handled that switch well, so much so that it makes you wonder... I. I I don't know what Portland's going to do. Clearly, they didn't like things the way they were with Cantor on Jokic. The Nuggets in Game 4 seemed to have gotten an offensive rhythm that they had not had in, in Games 2 and 3. So you, you felt like maybe they had to do something, but I don't know that they're going to find a winning formula with that. Denver tonight just to see, seemed to be in their bag. And one of the things that I think... When I look at that switch in particular and putting Aminu on Jokic, similar to Paul Millsap, I like Paul Millsap as a help side guy more than an on-ball guy. He's a terrific on-ball defender as well. But one of the things that happened with Aminu, you you put him on Jokic and Jokic is up at the top of the key. Now you don't have Aminu as that backside rotation guy to help out and play the help side. Instead, you have Ennis Cantor as that guy and he's terrible at it. So one of the things that happened was you draw Aminu up to the top of the court and Jokic did such a fantastic job of feeding the ball inside. I mean, he had two or three just phenomenal entry passes to, to Millsap in great position that he was able to score. And Aminu, the guy that's usually sort of there to rotate and help, could not be that guy. Um, the same was true on some of the drives. There were some great drives in this game, both by Jamal Murray and in, and especially by Gary Harris. Gary Harris, if you think about it, he had two or three of those plays where he he uses his big hands to palm the ball. He, he froze the defense a little bit and then got to the rim and just put that ball out in front of him. Well, part of the reason he was able to do that is the guy that's that backside rotation, Aminu, is sticking tight to Jokic. Just knows that you can't risk you know dropping the ball to Jokic at the center of the court on a pick and roll or on a drive because it, it's game over then. So instead, there was nobody there and, and it didn't work out. So that switch, that gamble by Terry Stotts did not pay off. And so much so that I don't think that, that Portland's going to go to it in in, uh, in game six. I wouldn't be surprised if Portland tried something completely different, maybe even a lineup change. Maybe they try to go to Zach Collins or something in the, in the starting lineup and bring Cantor as a scoring big off of the bench because tonight that was an absolute disaster for them and their, from their perspective. The ball was popping more so than we've seen recently. And again, I think a lot of this has to do with them. The, the, the switches that they made, just they allowed for this ball movement uh, heavy offense. And you have to give Jokic credit. This was a great game of him orchestrating the offense, especially in that second half. Um, but the ball was popping. Some really high-level quick passing in this one that was really fun to watch. Denver, again, Denver was in their bag tonight. Jokic's touchdown pass, I just had to make a note of it. He's had so many of these this year, and every time you just kind of um, – they're so impressive. No other bigs are making these types of passes as regularly as he is. One-handed, 90-foot pass. Uh, it was just incredible. Now, there wasn't all you know sunshine and rainbows for the Nuggets in that first quarter. Jokic got his second foul, as did Jamal Murray. And it was a little bit scary. As much as Denver was rolling and kind of in a comfortable spot uh, late in that first quarter, those two guys picking up a foul, we know how much Denver's bench has struggled. So you worried, okay, are these guys going to have to go in and play with foul trouble and try to avoid a third foul? If they pick up a third foul, what does that do? You know, How does that change rotation? So Denver was in a little bit of a spot where as good as things were rolling, everything could have come to a screeching halt if they would have picked up their foul. So it was a little bit concerning in that way. 
Um, Monte, the bench played great. Monte Moore still struggling though. He's the one guy. The more I watch and, and kind of get into the film, the more he is sort of the the in my opinion the reason number one that that bench unit is struggling and part of it is they're throwing length on him you know Rodney Hood Moharkless they had guys that are just taller than him that they've thrown to guarding him and he struggled with it he's um you know there's lessons he can learn he's still a fantastic player but it just doesn't seem like he has quite figured out um, how to overcome whatever you, you know these obstacles of them blitzing him in pick and rolls putting size on him and just walling him off um, at the end of the quarter he got his shot blocked from behind and it's just one of those things where you could tell he's playing at the wrong rhythm and the wrong pace I'm not talking about up and down pace but just you know not feeling the game properly um, and it was 31 to 25 at the end of the first so Denver wins they score 31 points but it, it felt like Denver had sort of blown an opportunity at least in that moment that's what I felt like and that's what I'd written down it felt like Denver had an opportunity to be up 10 points they're up six and I know that's only a little bit but 10 points after a quarter that really feels like you're in control second unit now this is another big adjustment that that that's happened um, Millsap started going at Evan Turner, um, started at the end of that first quarter, but really in the second quarter. And if you think back to game, f uh, game four, Evan Turner guarded Millsap in the post on a kind of a key possession where Millsap got stonewalled, ends up throwing it to Mason Plumley in the corner who shoots an air ball. And I remember thinking, Hmm, maybe there's something there. Maybe Evan Turner, you know, sort of has this craftiness and, and strength to be able to handle Millsap. Well, Millsap must've remembered that moment as well. Because he was calling for the ball nonstop to start the second quarter, trying to go right at Evan Turner, and he absolutely roasted him uh, down on the block. So um, I, I have to imagine that play from from uh, from Game Four stood out in his head, and and he kind of made a a pointed effort to attack him. And Millsap just continued to cook seven points in that second quarter on two of four shooting and then got to the foul line, drew some fouls, had an assist as well. He was Millsap player of the night, uh, just in his bag. Barton knocked down back-to-back three-pointers. And this is so huge. So I talked about this on the last episode. These people rooting for Barton to fail are, are crazy to me. Barton, uh, Torrey Craig brings a lot to the to the table. Will Barton can bring a lot to the table when when he's kind of rolling the way he has for the last couple of games. And he hasn't even had A plus games. We're talking about like B minus games by his standard, you know, last year. But that's a lot better than the like D minus level that he brought for much of the the season after coming back from injury. But when he's he's the type of guy that can give you back to back threes. And when you have a guy off the bench that can give you that kind of scoring punch all of a sudden your six point leads balloon to 14 so this is why as we were watching the game i had some people some must be really miserable people that just are waiting for Bill barton to fail in every capacity then they can write me on twitter and say hey you're overrating the impact he had and yeah he had two threes in the fourth quarter but if you look at the other stuff he did to me the reason it's important and some of these shots are important is because when he knocks down shots denver is a better team and he knocked down those two, and it opened things up. Um, so the second unit might have found a way to attack that um, their second unit. And I think this is another thing that's kind of key. Less pick and roll. You think about that second unit, and I'm talking about how they were bottling up Monte Morris in the pick and roll, throwing size at him. You know, him and Mason Plumley both sort of struggling. Well, Denver changed their attack quite a bit and played more through Paul Millsap in the, in the post. Now, maybe this was because Millsap just had it going, but maybe there's something too... You know, that second unit that has played pick and roll so much throughout the the regular season, maybe they just have to go a little bit more through Paul Millsap and let Millsap 
operate more like he did in his Atlanta days. It certainly worked for them in that second quarter. And to me, that was why Denver won this one going away. Think about it. The second unit has not had a good stretch really in this entire playoffs. They had a very good stretch in that second quarter and Denver won the game by 30 points. So I really think the starting unit has outplayed Portland in almost every game, if not every game. But that second unit has just given up such big leads in short minutes that um, all these games have been close. So if you can fix that one problem, I think Denver's in good place. Collins also sagged off Plumlee so much, especially as the quarter went on. He was standing in the restricted area one time. If you remember the play where Plumlee threw it away because he tried to throw an alley-oop to Will Barton, Will Barton beat his guy back door and was open if it weren't for Zach Collins just not guarding Plumlee and standing right there in the restricted area able to get the steal. But the Nuggets can counter that. When a big sags that far off of you out up top, there are things you can do to sort of put them in position to, you know, if you think about Plumlee doing a dribble handoff, especially after off of like a ram screen where one guard sits a pin down for the other and then the, the guy receiving the pin down comes off of a handoff off of Plumlee, what you do is you create a little bit of separation with that first pin down and then as the player comes around and gets the handoff, you can usually curl that handoff and step to the free throw line for a jumper. And if Zach Collins is the one guarding Plumlee on that handoff and he's 10 feet, 15 feet off of the ball, well, that, that means he's not in position to roll up and contest the shot. So there's things Denver can do. If Collins is going to sag off him that far, Denver can exploit that and, and kind of uh, figure out a way to to take advantage. But solid bench minutes. They pushed the lead to 10. They allowed Jokic an, ex, an extended rest. He had those two fouls, so if he had to come back in, you know, after three minutes rest, maybe fatigue is like the number one reason players can pick up fouls. It, the more tired you are, the slower you are, the, the worse decision-making you are. But Jokic being allowed to rest, I think he rested like six and a half minutes in that first half, um, maybe seven minutes. That's more than I think any other game up until this point. So if you can do that. I think you really put yourself in position to, to win. Damian Lillard got hot. He had 18 points on 7 of 12 shooting in the half. And this is why, I'm talking to some people after the game, they kept saying, you know, Lillard hasn't had that game yet. We're still waiting on that that Lillard game. And look, it might come. It, it might be game six that he goes off and, and scores 40, 50 points. But the thing I would point to is, in that first half, he actually did shoot the ball really well. 7 of 12. He had 18 points. He was on pace for a 36-point game. And guess what? Denver was up 18 anyway. And this is why, you know, could he have had, instead of 18, could he have had 25? Yes. But again, Denver was up 18. This is why I think part of the storyline tonight was Lillard looked very dejected at the half. And, and really in the third quarter, he looked even more dejected because it kind of felt like you know, Denver, not not that Denver has figured them out and, oh, every game's going to be easy, game six is going to be easy, but it was one of those things where it was like Lillard can't, at, at both teams' best, the Nuggets are just better, and Lillard, no matter even a heroic effort, you know, is going to probably leave him a little bit short. He needs performances from Cantor, who has now had two bad games in a row. I think the Nuggets have figured some things out with him. Um, CJ McCollum also has to go. I mean, just so many things have to go right for them. And I don't think you can consistently count on big point totals from Aminu and Harkless and those guys. They just don't have it in them. Those players are more akin to Torrey Craig. They're not, it's not that every now and then they have big games. It's that it's very, very rare for those guys to really blow up and put a lot of points on the board. So, um, tonight Damian Lillard was on pace for a Lillard night and it wasn't going to matter one bit. Beasley had another play where he just completely lost CJ, and I've talked about this a lot. I don't want to harp on it too much. 
But those types of plays, man, they they make you unplayable. It actually cut the lead down to eight. Malone immediately went back to Barton, and you could see, I, I actually was watching Malone. As Beasley loses track of CJ, CJ gets a wide-open three. Malone walks right down to the bench, looks at Barton, says get back in there and pull him out. I mean, those type of play. Beasley's so good, and he provides something some scoring and some shooting and spacing that the team needs but if he can't if he gives up those types of plays there's nothing he can do on the offensive end that'll make up for it giving up basketball is a game of mistakes more than it is of like offensive heroics the team that makes mistakes and allows easy points especially three-point shots um you know you just can't overcome that even with heroic playmaking Jamal Murray got rolling in that second quarter he hit a couple tough layups um he licking his fingers you know he was doing that stuff and it got the crowd going, and it, you could just see the Nuggets were in their bag. He also hit a ridiculous three right in Lillard's eye. It was it was an absurd three-pointer. You could just tell his confidence level continues to be just sky high. Big big series for him, big playoffs for him. I, I wrote, I've, I've been talking about this a lot, but he has just really looked like a legitimate second banana on a great, great team. Second, second banana sounds condescending. A great sidekick to Jokic. Um, 18 points, 9... Nine assists, five rebounds. You know, pretty good shooting, not great. Only one for five from the three-point line. Um, but a, another just A-plus game from Jamal Murray, who's starting to rack up more and more A-plus games under his belt. And then also Jokic. Malone, I thought, did a great job. He put Jokic to the bench with like two minutes left in the cor- in the half. He had two fouls. You're up 17. You can afford to do that there. Even if Portland went on a run, you're probably still up at the very least 10. So I like that he said, you know, it's more important for Jokic to get out of this half with just two fouls than it is, um, you know, for us to blow a little bit of the lead. And turns out they didn't blow the lead. They actually gained another point in that stretch. To me, that was one of the moments that was like, okay, Denver's odds are sky high right now. 65 to 47 going into the half, and, and Denver just in a very comfortable place. Now the question became, how would they come out in the third? You got an 18-point lead. You're in the driver's seat, but those first few moments of this of a second half, whenever you come out of a break like that with that kind of lead, it's really, you know, the big question is just how are they going to come out? Are they going to take their foot off the gas pedal? Are they going to have the killer instinct? What would they do? Third quarters have been great. My colleague Matt Moore pointed this out. Coming into the game, Denver had the third, the second best net rating in third quarters of all the playoff teams. They've kind of they've been very good in third quarters. Of course, we remember in the previous game, Denver had held um Portland to just 14 points in the third quarter, really locked up their defense. So would there be a repeat performance? Gary Harris's three-point shooting continues to slump, including from the left corner where he missed another wide open one. And um again, if if there's one way Denver can be playing even better than they have, even in this game, it's Gary Harris. His shooting <laughs> For the last three seasons, Gary Harris's shooting has been one of the most steady and reliable parts of the Denver Nuggets offense. He goes 0 for 2 again tonight. I don't know what he's shooting in the series, but it's got to be somewhere around 20% or maybe even below that. Um, so they don't get that, those buckets from him, but um, you know he still contributed in other ways. Paul Millsap just continued to feast on smaller defenders. They had Harkless on him one time. He just made him look like a JV player. Paul Millsap playing some of his best basketball of his career. You... 34 years old, maybe you worried he'd slow down and um, maybe that contractor, you know, what, what happens with him going forward. If he's anything like he's looked in this series, his, his he's still playing at an incredibly high level. So that that's really encouraging. 
This game almost blew up to, to the 30-point margin even sooner. Torrey Craig missed two layups that um, you know were wide open. Jamal Murray missed one too. He had that you know kind of like behind-the-back fake scoop and didn't get it. Um, so they had opportunities even early on to get this to the 26, 28 points and really put this away early, but instead hovered around 20 for a little bit while longer. The 5-1 pick-and-roll, the inverted pick-and-roll where Murray screens for Jokic's guy, it seems to work every single time that they run it. I don't know why they don't run it more. Malone's talked about, you know, I've asked, is there a limit to how much you can? He says, yes, you know, that's such a curveball play. We don't want to run it too much and that teams figure out. I don't I don't know if teams can figure that out. I mean, part of me wonders if that's just an action that Denver could go to two, maybe three times as much as they already do. Um, it just gets that many good looks and I remember Rob Mahoney of Sports Illustrated has a great podcast, the the Breakaway Pod, where he had Mike D'Antoni on there one time, and one of the setups for it was, if you have a play that works, why have a playbook? Just run that one play. And the whole idea was, of course, the spread pick and roll for, for him, but the inverted pick and roll for the Nuggets, you might not, sometimes, maybe you just hammer that until teams can't stop you anymore. I know Denver gets their points from a lot of different things, but... I, I really feel like they could up that 5-1 inverted pick-and-roll action to ramp it up two, maybe three times as much as they do, and, and it would still have the same effect where they just kill teams. Blazers went cold. So part of this, I think Denver truly did just outplay and dominate this game. Um, but there were moments where I thought Portland had some shots that, at this point, we're talking about cutting the lead down to like 15 or 14. So it wasn't like, you know, oh, they were missing so many shots and that's why Denver was up. But, you know... The difference between having a 20-point lead and having it cut down to like 12, 13, 14 versus having a 20-point lead and having it expand to 25, you know, that's pretty big. And Portland had a few good looks in that third quarter where the shot just was not falling. And maybe that was a product of Denver. You know, sometimes when you're rolling like that and you're punching, and I talked about how aggressive they were and, you know, Murray's like a predator, or I'm sorry, Harris like a predator out there defensively, sometimes that disrupts the rhythm. So, when you make shots routinely hard on, on the offense, even the easy shots can be hard because the team is just out of rhythm, and maybe that's what happened tonight, but it's worth noting the Blazers had some good looks that did not go down in this quarter. When Jokic catches Murray's guy um, for a pick-and-roll near the half-court line, it's an automatic bucket, and you know you can't do it. That's one that you can't do too often, or otherwise the defense will just slide under it and, and nothing will happen. But Jokic is very good at sort of hunting that moment when Mo Harkless, the play I'm thinking about in the third quarter, Mo Harkless is sticking really close to Murray, trying to like full court press him. Jokic sneaks up on him, gets that screen at half court, and now Jokic gets to sprint downhill at Ennis Cantor as Jokic is rolling downhill. Um, there's just nothing you can do. So the few times the Nuggets have been able to catch that screen way up high, it feels like they're scoring at an insane rate. Murray's putback dunk. That felt like the nail in the coffin is early in the game. This is only halfway through the third quarter. Jamal Murray has that putback dunk that was just, it was, it was impressive. Uh, Pepsi Center was completely lit. Everybody was going nuts. Um, it was a dunk. It was a demoral. I think it was on Rodney Hood, and you could see Rodney Hood. I think he's sort of had the body language of all of the entire city of Portland all in one gets dunked on and just kind of hangs his head and is like, man, it's one of those nights I'm getting dunked on by a point guard. Nuggets are up 20, 27. I think at that point, it's just, the game felt over. I know there was still like 
16 minutes to play, 17 minutes to play, but it felt like, okay, it's over. Denver's up 27. They'd eventually go up to be up 31. Just unreal. What an unreal night at Pepsi Center for Denver to play like this on this stage and, and just dominate. They finished the, the quarter, the third quarter, up 93-65 to 65, um, and just running away with this thing. In the fourth quarter, Millsap and the bench mob actually struggled to hold on to the 30-point lead. So Stotts put CJ and Dame on the bench. They throw out um, Myers Leonard and Zach Collins, and each of those guys hit a three. Now, they were actually out there in the third quarter as well, but um, you know they missed their shot. So part of this isn't necessarily, oh, the bench mob. I know part of that is we've talked i think we we overanalyzed the bench at this moment because they've been so consistently bad they were bad in that fourth quarter stretch they were good in the second quarter but bad in the fourth quarter one but part of why they were bad is the two centers each hit back to back three pointers and were able to cut that lead to 20 so if there's one small victory for portland in this one and it's a very 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 small one they did force denver starters to come back in i thought i was with malone um, and, and bringing guys back in. So Portland grabbed an offensive rebound on a free throw, which is sort of like you worried about the Nuggets taking their foot off the gas pedal. That second unit felt like they took their foot off the gas pedal. And so Jokic immediately gets Beasley out of there. He puts Harris back in. He puts Jokic back in for Plumley. I believe it was Plumley. Maybe it was Millsap. And, and some people were like, what is Jokic doing out there? They're up 20. To me, I actually liked it. The bench, to start that second quarter, Portland was on a really big run. And rather than wait for it till it's too late, I like that he said, you know what, go back out there. Even if you just play even for the next three or four minutes, you know, that's a win. And now it's out of reach. And that's more or less what happened. Um, Myers Leonard got a flagrant foul. Um, Jokic kind of got into his face, lost his cool. To me, I don't even think that was a flagrant. It was barely a foul on replay. Uh, to me, I, I was surprised. I wonder if there was something else going on on the court. Myers Leonard, a bit of a you know, a, a Chad bro, he's kind of a, he played, especially him being as intense and sort of just that whole Portland team just starting to get a little bit upset, I think, from being run off the court. So he was, jaw him and Jokic were jawing and kind of playing physical before that, but the actual incident, the foul, to me, it looked like nothing. Jokic said he didn't like being pushed in, in the air uh, when he was airborne, which first of all, <laughs> Jokic airborne in the same sentence, kind of funny. But to me, the story, personally, Jokic got the flagrant call, which is sort of a star call. If you want to, we complain about Jokic never getting star calls. I think he started to get a few of these, um, especially in this series. But I, to me, it's, he lost his cool after the game. He said, "No, it's nothing. It, you know, it, it, it's not like something that he thinks is going to linger over or anything like that." But to me, he's got to do a better good job, a better job of sort of keeping his cool because um, I. I, I as much as you like him standing up for himself, I thought that was one that could have broken the wrong way for Denver, and maybe you helped them get some momentum. He also had a chance, Jokic did, to have the first 20-20 game. I can't remember in how long, 20 points, 20 rebounds, but he couldn't grab, he went like five minutes without grabbing a rebound. He had one, it, maybe if he would have known how rare it was, he would have grabbed one that went right to him, but he just like sticks his hand out and somebody else stole it from him. So clearly he didn't care about this stupid statistic that I did. And me and Harrison sitting next to each other, Harrison win BSN Denver, and we're like rooting for it and hoping he can grab one, um, but he did not. Instead, he fouled out. He grabbed, I think, four fouls in that fourth quarter. Wancho checked in, and this is the great we You call these end-of-bench guys the human victory cigar. Wancho's like the best human victory cigar. First of all, the crowd went nuts when he checked in. Um, clearly a fan favorite. And then he hits a three and just does the most hilarious um, celebration with the bench. You could just tell the guys were having so much fun. And how can you not love this Denver Nuggets team? 
They are so much fun to root for this group of underdogs and 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 making their way. Fraud City. We've been running this with running with this at DenverStiffs.com. All these analysts calling Denver frauds. Jokic is a fraud superstar. This is a fraud team. They're going to get exposed. This exposed team is having the time of their lives one win away from making it to the Western Conference Finals and shutting everybody up. Everybody up. It's already happened. I think, you know, I've already talked about I think Denver is, um, you know, they've already done enough. Even if they were to lose this series, you know, as painful as it would be because they're on the doorstep, they've already, I think, achieved as much as anybody coming into the season and really even halfway through the season or even at the start of the playoffs, they've really met the goals and expectations. Personally, Murray and Jokic have elevated their game. The team has just played so well. So for me, the the Nuggets have already sort of, they have nothing left to prove. Um, but getting this final win and making it to the Western Conference Finals, it would just be such a, a, a an accomplishment for such a young group and, and such a big moment. And then to do it, having as much fun and just the togetherness, the playing the style that they have managed to play in this series, it would just be something special. And um, it was a special night at Pepsi Center. It was a heck of a lot of fun. And your Denver Nuggets, the Fraud City Denver Nuggets, the Take That L on the Way Out Denver Nuggets, are now on the doorstep of the Western Conference Finals. Can't wait for it. Very excited for it. And uh, the next 48 hours are going to be painful just waiting um, for the next game to begin so we can see if this team can close it out. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. Don't forget to check out denverstiffs.com. We have all kinds of great content up on there over the last couple days. Some great writers. Gordon Gross had a great piece. Andy Feinstein had a very nice tribute to a dear friend of his that, that passed away this week. Um, so some great, great content up there. Uh, you're not. You're going to want to check back daily to make sure you're not missing anything and just being a part of the community. It's something, you know, I've always talked about the reason I enjoy doing this is for the community. I like bringing people together. Just in life, I like bringing people together. But but with with the, the love and the joy of basketball, it's just so much fun. Um, and to see the, the Nuggets this magical season that they're on, it's been fun to kind of uh, see how people have interacted and just... And just um, celebrated together this big moment. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Locked on Nuggets podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com.